in Matthew 20, and also John 13. It's all there on the sheet if you didn't get a chance to grab one. Uh, we're going to be starting out, though, in Isaiah 42. Well, you can see from the title, Isaiah 42 is all about servanthood. And I started thinking about this. There's a series of seven words that probably make you cringe when you hear it. And they are, hey, could you do me a favor? Because on almost all of us, when someone says, hey, could you do me a favor? The first thing we say is, sure. And we don't think in any way whatsoever about what it's going to be. And some of us say yes, and we really don't want to do it. Now, none of us will admit that, but that's the evidence to goodness truth. Is you have said yes to something, said, oh, I'm willing, it won't be a problem, no big deal. And deep down inside, you didn't want to do it. Well, tonight it's all about servanthood because Christ is the ultimate example of what a servant is supposed to be. When you look here in Isaiah 42, look how it says, verse 1, Behold my servant. Now, depending on your translation, i got New King James, and so therefore it capitalizes God in the third person. So my and servant is both capitalized. My servant who I am uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised seed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait for his law. So, talking about servants. Now, you've got to remember, when the Bible was written, that the idea here that everything was uh, combined together, there were no chapter breaks. And we got into this idea of servanthood a little bit in chapters 40 and 41. Israel was known as the servant that was the bad servant. Well, what we have here now is an example of what we're supposed to do as a servant. And so Jesus is the greatest example of servanthood that we have. Now, let's look at this, if you will. Turn, if you will, first to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to hit a couple verses in Matthew, and then we're going to move on with this. Matthew chapter 3. How do we know that this servant is talking about Christ? Well, when you study out the rest of chapter 42, it's pretty easy to tell that we're talking about God. But more than that... If you look at the end of Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus got baptized, there was this little phrase and thing that they said. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, When he, meaning Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now look at the comparison, if you go to Psalm 40, excuse me, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant who I am uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. You see the similarities here. So Jesus is this example of servant. Now we'll get into that a little bit more. But before we get into what it means for Jesus to be the servant, we have to see what did Christ think of being a servant. If you're still in Matthew, jump ahead to Matthew 20, and then we're going to go to John 13. Then we're going to come back here and make some application points. Now I know what you're thinking, that all of you know that Jesus was the ultimate servant. But you have to put yourself in the perspective of Christ when we talk about being a servant. Because we cannot even fathom what it was like for Christ to be a servant. Look at these verses here. Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, stop and think about that verse for one second here. This is God himself that's talking. God is saying that I came to serve. You know, when Jesus walked this world and he walked this earth, here he was, God himself in the form of man, and he said, I didn't come to be 
served. I came to serve different people. Why is it that as human beings we have that flipped around? How many times do we have those selfish thoughts of, oh yeah, but what are you going to do for me? What do I get out of it? I've heard that so many times. It's this idea of, well, it's not fair. I do everything in the marriage. They do nothing. I'm the only one at work doing stuff. I have to pick up everybody else's slack. I'm the only one doing this. Jesus would say, you're doing good then. Well, it's not fair. Jesus never said it would be fair. He says, I came to serve, not to be served. And the problem is we have so many people that want authority and titles and positions and they want to be the one in charge. Jesus says that's not the way it's supposed to be. And he just didn't say it. He did it. Go, if you will, to John 13 real quick. And let's look at this. John 13, verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, once again meaning Christ, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you not know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here's the thing. Can you imagine John 13? The creator of the universe on his hands and knees washing somebody's feet. That's just a mind-blowing thought. Those are the same feet that God created, and now he's going to wash them. Now, once again, why is it then that in today's society that we live in that we're above certain jobs? I can't do that. It's above me. Excuse me, it's below me. Now, we may not come out and exactly say that, but we think that, don't we? We think that a lot, but that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. Was it the responsibility of Christ incarnate to clean somebody's feet up? He said, I did this as an example for you. He just didn't come down and said, I came here to serve. I'm going to prove it. Washing somebody's feet was the lowest of the low job back during New Testament times. Because these feet were open, cold sandals. They had dirt all over them. Who else knows what? And so what would happen is you would come in, and if you would go into somebody's house that had servants or slaves, the lowest servant and slave would be responsible to wash somebody's feet. What Jesus is basically doing here is saying there is nobody lower than me in the sense of servanthood. But yet, we become big, don't we? Big in our minds, big in our hearts, and we're too important to do stuff. Haven't you seen somebody who started out almost, if you would say, as an equal, then they get promoted or something, and next thing you know, their head gets too big? Or have you seen it all the time when you see people hit it big in the world, be it through music or whatever, something along that type of line, they hit it big, and next thing you know, they forget that they're just another servant. We're all servants. That's the whole point here, is so we're supposed to serve. The problem is verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, some people are willing to do it, and some people aren't willing to do it. Some people are willing to serve, some aren't. But you're blessed if you do. Now the question comes up, if you're willing to do it, how do we do it? Jump back now if you would to Isaiah 42. We've set the background here. Christ is the ultimate servant. He not only said it, he also went and did it. Now if you want the greatest example of servanthood, it's not necessarily him washing feet, it's him going to the cross. He took care of that pain and punishment himself. He served God in that capacity of going to the cross and dying for our sins. That's servanthood. So what are the things that he did? If you look here at your sheets, there's four things. How did Jesus serve? The first one we've already read in verse 1, I have put my spirit upon him. If you really want to serve, first thing you need is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How are you supposed to serve unless the Spirit is guiding and directing you? You can look at the reference we got there of Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I've seen a lot of people serve, and it's not in the Spirit. 
Here's the truth, though. It works for a while. It does. I've seen people teach Bible studies. They weren't in the Spirit. They were in the flesh. But they got enough wisdom. They got enough guidance and life experience. They can throw a lesson together, and that sounds pretty good. People have got up, I'm sure, and done worship before and wasn't in the Spirit. They're good at playing an instrument. They can sing on tune. They put it all together. Well, it sounds pretty good. I've seen people serve with a smile on their face, not in the Spirit. So we can do it in the flesh for a little bit. But here's the truth of the matter. If you really want to be blessed and anointed by the Lord, you do it in the Spirit because you can't keep it up. I can't keep it up. I can put a fake smile on my face for a chunk of the time. I could wing a few Bible studies here and there, but the truth of the matter is it's going to become stale and dull and done because it's not in the Spirit. And it has to be. That's the first point, is it has to have the Holy Spirit upon it, touching it. And I've seen so many ministries, so many people get up there in their flesh and their own wisdom, and they do it for a while. It looks good, it sounds good, but eventually it just wears away. Why? Because there's no Holy Spirit in it. That's what keeps it going. So the first point is it has to be in the Spirit. Next one. Look at verse 2. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. What does that mean? Jesus would serve by love and example, not by force. He's not going to yell at the sheep to tell them to go deeper. He's not going to push it. He's not going to force it. He's going to do it by love and example. Jesus could have sat there and said, you know what, I want you guys to learn how to be a servant. So everybody to the person to the right of you, wash their feet. He says, no, I'm going to show you what a servant is by me washing your feet. When Peter denied Christ three times and Peter gave up and was going back to fishing, Jesus could have went and chewed him out and said, you know what, Peter, I'm going to use you as an example to never deny me and to never slip away. Jesus still went to Peter and said, man, I love you. Feed my sheep. He served by love and example, not by force. Look at this verse here in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. There's never a reason for us to snap at each other. There's never a reason for us to yell at each other. There's never a reason for us to use force to make a point. Because when we do that, we're not serving by love. We're not serving in a godly example. And you know what? I'm going to even take this one step further, not even the body of Christ. There's not a reason in the world to go out there and serve by force and to force an example even in the world. I've heard so many people say, well, you don't know where I work, and the only way to get across to these people is to do what they do, act the way they act, love the way they love, do what this, say what they say. No. You can destroy a lot of people with grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is a powerful thing. And if you look at these things right here, warn those who are unruly. Do you know somebody who's going backwards instead of forwards in their walk with the Lord? The loving thing to do is to go tell them, I love you enough, I care for you enough to tell you you're wrong. Not forcing. I'm telling you you're wrong and I'm concerned. Comfort the faint-hearted. Do you know somebody who's faint-hearted that they just, they just can't? They don't have the strength to stab them, the encouragement to go deeper. Comfort them. Uphold the weak. You know, there's people that are weak, spiritually weak, emotionally weak, physically weak. How do we uphold them? How do we encourage them? And the last one, be patient with all. Take a look at your Christian walk and your Christian life. Are you being patient with everybody? See, Jesus set the example. He didn't cry out, raise his voice, and he wasn't heard in the street yelling and screaming. What a great example of servanthood. Which goes right along with the next one. Love the sheep, don't beat the sheep. I know a lot of people that want to beat the sheep. I do that sometimes. And I've gotten myself in those little uh, tangents of, you know what, you need to pray more, you need to read more, you need to study more. And really, they just need to be loved more. We all need to pray more. We all should... 
read more. We all should study more. We all know that. No one needs to tell us that. The Holy Spirit tells us that. But we also want to read, pray, and study out of a heart of desire to go deeper in the Lord. And one of the greatest things we can do as a church is to love the sheep. To say, you know what, I love you enough to encourage you to go deeper. Because look at the rest of this verse here. Verse 3. A bruised weed, excuse me, a bruised reed he will not break. What is he talking about? He's talking about this plant that's so fragile, he's not going to snap it. He's going to take care of it. Look at the next one. Smoking flax he will not quench. What does that mean? That means he doesn't put the fire out. He encourages it to keep going. See, I know a lot of Christians that want to break bruised reeds. They want to. The way they want to get their point across is hammer the Bible over people's heads and tell them everybody they're wrong. I heard a message one time by this guy, and this guy was just angry. Just angry. And he was getting up there talking and just getting on the body of Christ of, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. And I remember the crowd stopping and clapping for on his points. And I remember distinctly him saying verbatim, don't you clap for me because I'm talking about you. And I thought, how is that the love of God? And you know, I've seen some of these people where they've said, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is my ministry. I'm going to go shove it down their throat. That's not love. Love is being honest, and sometimes you've got to be forthful and straight, right? Jesus didn't have a problem calling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers, you sons of hell. Now, that's not a real great encouraging way to start a conversation, but it was true, and it was also done in love. A lot of times you see pastors and teachers where it's like, what are they so ticked about? They're like misrepresenting God. If you look at the servanthood of Christ, he says, I'm not here to break reeds. I'm not here to quench the smoking flax. I'm here to serve and to serve and love. And let's get to the last point here, then we'll stop for a second. And look at verse 4. He will not fail nor be discouraged. Now, how many of you have gotten discouraged in serving? I tried it and it didn't go good. Or I tried it and I'm the only one doing it. I'm carrying this whole burden myself. No one saw what I did. No one cares what I do. It's all me, all by myself. And you have this great little Eeyore pity party all by yourself. No one cares. No one gets it. No one understands. You're just going to go eat worms and be done type of thing. See, Jesus didn't get discouraged. You want to talk about loneliness and serving. In his greatest time of need as a human, the apostles deserted him. In his greatest time of need on the cross, physically, he was in such pain no one could take it away. And eventually, even in his greatest time of need spiritually, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to be lonely and discouraged. In fact, the New Testament uses the word he was in anguish. Look at this verse here on your sheets, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. How many of you are weary about something? There's somebody in your life where God says, I want you to love them, and you said, I can't love them anymore. I'm done. There's something in your life where God says, I want you to be diligent and keep going. You said, Lord, I can't. I can't, I can't win this battle. I can't do this. There's an area in your life where God says, I want you to go serve in this area. Lord, I can't, not me. God says, don't grow weary in doing good. And due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't lose heart. Aren't you glad that Christ did not get discouraged? Aren't you glad steps from the cross, he just didn't say, I can't, I can't do this. This is too much. Aren't you glad when everybody deserted him, he didn't say, boy, if everybody else has given up, I might as well give up too. 
He didn't get discouraged. He was led by the Spirit, anointed with the Spirit. He served as an example of love. He loved the sheep. He didn't beat them. And he was devoted to what he was called to do. That's the example of servanthood that Christ gave us. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Number one, are you letting the Spirit lead you in whatever area you serve? That's number one. Number two, are you setting an example? Number three, are you loving the sheep? And lastly, are you devoted to that? I've seen a lot of people out here that said, hey, I want to do this. They want to serve. They want to lead. They Whenever they get into it, they do it for a few weeks, a few months, and they just stop. I can't. Why? Well, life is so busy. I just can't right now. Or there's this going on and there's that going on. Trust me, guys. I know things pop up in life. I don't mean that as a legalism. But there's a lot of times where God says, just serve through it. Be devoted through it. There was this one person I knew, and uh, she always had a tough time of when it came to fulfilling her obligations of what she was supposed to do when it came to serving and, and coming to church. And every single time she was called to do something or signed up to do something, there was always something that got in the way. And I remember telling her, and it didn't go real well, I said, well, maybe God is just saying, bust through it one time. And she's like, you don't get it. You know, I got this going on and this going on, this going on, this going on. And let's just be honest, and don't stick your hands up. How many of you, was it a struggle to get here tonight? I bet it was. How many of you, it's a struggle sometimes on Sunday mornings to say, okay, I'm going to try to come? How many of you, it's a struggle sometimes to go home to that spouse that doesn't care? How many of you, it's a struggle to get up and go to work tomorrow where you're underpaid, underappreciated, yelled and screamed at? God says, can you serve through that? We all got something we're trying to serve through. We all got something we're trying to be a godly example through. We may look at some of these other people and say, well, look at the smile on their face. Yeah, that smile is holding, uh, showing a whole heart of hurt. And are we devoted to serve through it? Jesus set the example to say, you know what? I'm not going to fail nor get discouraged. I'm going to keep going forward in it. And what an example he set. Now let's stop here for a second before we get to the application part. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about this? The uh, four parts here of Jesus serving or Jesus' background is setting the example of servanthood. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, I'm just wondering, what was the uh, Jewish mindset at the time? Because you know, everybody's expecting Christ to be you know, the king that would come in, that would take out the Romans and you know, wipe, wipe mm-hmm. them all out and establish his uh, kingdom. They, they expected him to be the, you know, the king at the time. Right. <clears throat> I'm going to answer your question by not answering your question. Because what you really bring up a point is expectations. The Jewish expectation was the Messiah was going to come, get Rome off our back, set up a godly earthly kingdom, and everything was going to be great. That wasn't in the Bible. That's what they created in their own mindset. And for you that are married, you know what a lot of your fights come from. You had a different expectation than your spouse. Well, I thought you were going to do this. I thought that this is what was going to happen. We have an expectation that's created in our mind, and when that expectation isn't met, we're hurt, we're bothered. And so what really Jesus is trying to say here, and I agree with what you're saying, Ryan, is the Jewish expectation was different. But who created that expectation? The Jews did. Jesus never once said, hey guys, I'm here to take Rome off your back. He never said that. He said from the beginning, I came to be the suffering Messiah and to die. Now eventually Rome will get off your back when I return. But they had a mis-expectation. I think sometimes when it comes to Christian service, we have a mis-expectation too. We get up and say, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm telling you, if you want easy, don't serve. Now, that may say like I'm shooting myself in the foot, but that's the truth. If you want easy, just become a middle-of-the-road Christian that shows up and does nothing. And then you won't have any failures. 
But if you really want to go deeper in your walk with the Lord, you need to serve. And as you serve, that's what's going to happen. You're going to get hurt. That's a fact. As soon as you devote yourself to the body of Christ, you're going to get bitten in the back, you're going to get attacked, you're going to get blindsided. It is a lot of work to serve. And it's not just serving at church. It's serving anywhere. Once again, going back to the analogy of marriage, you know what it's like if you have a spouse that is an unloving spouse that you serve and serve and great a godly example and they just keep taking and taking and taking. That's hard. Jesus set the example to say, I'm going to be devoted through that. I'm not going to grow weary while doing good. So, good point there, Ryan. But the main problem was is the Jews had a mis-expectation of what they thought the Messiah was going to do. And I think sometimes in this world today, we set our bar of expectations too high. Well, I'm going to do this and everybody's going to be happy. And then you do it and no one cares. Well, why did you do it? You did it for the Lord, not for the praise of man. Yeah, John. Yeah. But you get stronger and more able the next time. I, yeah, no pain, no gain is a good one. I, one of the phrases I like to say is that we like to serve till it hurts, and when it hurts, we stop. You know, it's like, okay, well, this is asking too much of me. Now I'm done. And the beauty of God is, go back to point number three. Love the sheep, don't beat the sheep. Jesus is not going to say, okay, you're done. I don't love you anymore. He's still going to say, I love you. That's the beauty of it. So the problem is we can get very, very comfortable and content in our Christian walk is, I'm sort of strong, I know my Bible, I hit church, I do this, I help out here. And Jesus is tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, let's go another level. He's not going to force you to go deeper in Him. He just wants you to go deeper in Him. Because I tell you, the deeper you grow in the Lord, the more the blessing it is. Remember that great parable where it says, some return 60-fold, some return 90-fold, some return 120. There are some 60-fold Christians that are very happy being 60-fold Christians. They're very happy with their middle-of-the-road Christian walk. But there's some that says, I want to go deeper. You know what? It's tough to go from 60 to 90. But once you get to 90, you say, I want to go deeper even more. I want to go 90 to 120 return. And that's the whole point is, do we desire to go deeper? The other day I was reading my Bible and Elias goes, why are you reading your Bible? And he goes, don't you know it? And Because that's the way their little mind works. They've learned their Bible verses. They know their Bible verses. And I said, well, yeah. I said, I've read this before, but I said, I want to learn more about the Lord. And I remember him asking, why? I mean, I was just blindsided. Why? And, you know, at four years old, it's hard for him to understand this relationship of wanting to go deeper. But you stop and you think about that, and I thought, isn't there a lot of Christians that have that same mindset? Why? You hear me every Sunday say, read and pray and study and worship. Why? Everything's okay. I, I, I can't change your heart on that. And it's not my job to. But I'm just telling you, the deeper you go, the more blessed you'll be. And the deeper you go, the more peace there will be in your life. And I remember that. I remember one time Richard Betts teaching that, um, you know, when God blesses us, we always think blessings. You know, $1,000 bills are going to rain from heaven on my head. You know, people are going to give me a free car. Sometimes that blessing is just peace. More peace in your life. More peace in your home. And what a blessing that is. As you go deeper in the Lord, you start realizing this world doesn't matter. And the more you serve, the realize this world doesn't matter. Lord, I just want to love you. I just want to go deeper in you. So, sorry. Good question, Ryan. I don't know why I got off on that tangent. So, uh, anybody else? Questions, comments here before we move on to the next one? Okay, let's make some application out of this then. Okay, what are we supposed to do? Well, let's see what Jesus did with this. Verse 5, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth. 
and with that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and to spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Let's stop there real quick. Did you catch verse 6? I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. Now, obviously, he's, this is God the Father speaking to Christ the Son. But I also believe there's an application to us that we hit last week. You don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. See, don't we think we have to? Well, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. No, I don't. The Lord works through me. I don't have to carry the burdens of this. The Holy Spirit will lead me, empower me, and comfort me, and give me the guidance on what to do. It's God that does it, and He just chooses to use me as the vessel. I mean, if you think about it, when you get in the car and you say, okay, I've got to drive to the neighbor's. The neighbor's is a mile away. Is it really that big a deal? Why? The car does all the work. You're just along for the ride. That's the same way it is with Christianity and the Lord. He does all the work. I'm along for the ride. Now, sometimes there's bumps on that ride. And sometimes my steering gets bad and I put myself into a spiritual ditch. But the truth of the matter is I'm just along for the ride. And Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And also, I always love this. If you ever want to see where you're at in the Bible, you're right there at the end of verse 6, as a light to the Gentiles. You know, it was prophesied 2,500, 3,000 years ago that Jesus came for you and I. We're the Gentiles. Now, aren't you glad to know that 3,000 years ago you were on the mind of God to say that I'm still dying for them? Okay, what was Christ going to do? Verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house, I am the Lord, that is my name. That is your job, to give sight to the blind and to release the prisoners. Simple. Now, obviously, this is not practical in the sense of you're not all supposed to become eye surgeons. The point of this is there are spiritually blind people out there. Your job is to open their eyes to the Lord through your witness, through your love, through your testimony for them to see Jesus Christ. The next one is you're supposed to set the prisoners free. Now, that doesn't mean we all go march on CCNO here. What it means is there are people imprisoned by sin, despair, discouragement, past hurt, guilt, shame, you name it, and they have created this prison in their lives. Your job is to go set them free. Well, how do you do that? You do it through the Lord. And we're running out of time here, so we're not going to be able to get to all these uh, scriptures here. But if you look at your sheets, what God asked Paul to do in Acts 26.18, he says it was to go turn their eyes from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what God wants us to do. Is when you go out in this world, you're supposed to be opening people's eyes to Christ, pointing them towards Jesus, and setting them free from their sin. All through Jesus. Look at the next one. How, who do you know that is spiritually blind? Second Corinthians 4, then, once again, we're running out of time, says their eyes are blinded and veiled. We need to pray that their eyes are open. Next one, who do you know that's imprisoned? Look at this John 8 verse. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Who do you know that's imprisoned by something? What can you do to help set them free? Now, here's the truth of the matter. I've met people that are imprisoned by something. You go and you spiritually unlock their cage, and you say, hey, go free in Christ... They don't want to. They want to stay in their little cage. They want to stay in their cage of despair, depression, discouragement, you fill in the blank, and they don't want to come out. Well, it goes back to what Christ did in point number two. He's not going to force them. And I'm not going to force them either. I tried doing that. I tried forcing people out of their prisons. They don't want to go. Now, when do they want to go? That's up to them. And maybe you were one of those people that you were held in bondage for years and you finally got it. You finally, the light clicked on and that blindness was lifted. 
And we need to definitely keep that in prayer. But who frees them? Christ is the one that frees them. The Son makes them free. And once again, every now and then, I see somebody who feels that they can free somebody. And maybe there's somebody here tonight that you have this on your shoulders, that, you know what, I, I can do this. I can help this person. I can have this person quit drinking. I can help this person. I can save this marriage. I can free this person from the addiction of fill-in-the-blank, drugs, pornography, whatever. I can, I can. You can't unlock a prison door. You can't. I tell you, a few years ago, it finally hit me about marriage counseling. Because people would come in, and when, you, when they do marriage counseling, it's such, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say stress, because that's not the right word, but it's such an intense thing of, okay, Lord, what can we do to help this couple? And for years, I thought it was my responsibility. And then it finally clicked. It's like, I can't fix a marriage. It's only the Lord. The only thing I can do is tell them, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect, honor, and submit unto your husbands. Ephesians, let's just keep reading it again and again. That's all I can do. Then when people would come in with these big burdens of drugs and alcohol and addiction, I can't point. I can't fix it. I can point them towards Christ. And that's very, very liberating. I don't hold the keys to open up prison doors. God does. I don't have the power to open up someone's eyes. And some of you out here tonight think that you can open up someone's eyes to see Christ. No, they have to want to. So we keep praying, we keep searching, we keep pointing in the right direction. Now, to finish this up, what happens when those eyes are finally opened? Isaiah 42.10 Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise from the ends of the earth. Let's just praise God for that. Why do we have praise and worship before every service? Because some of you are coming into church with a lot of burdens on your shoulders. Praise and worship is a great way for you to let go of those burdens and say, okay, God, I've had a rough week, but while I'm here, I don't want to think about anything else but you. Praise and worship is a great way for us to refocus. It's almost like hitting the reset button on your computer. I want to start from scratch, Lord. You deserve praise and worship. Not because of what I've, you've done. Not because of what's going on. You deserve praise and worship just because you're God. Even though you had a horrible week, you may think, i got nothing to praise God about. you always got something to praise Him about. Salvation, heaven, eternity, His love. And so the result of serving, the result of seeing people changed in Christ is verse 10. Praise to God for what He's done. That really sets the example. So, final points here. First question you have to ask is, do you want to serve? As Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Blessed are you if you do this. You have to decide you want to do it. If you want to do it, we can move on to the next step. The next step now is spirit-led, serving by love and example, not forcing it, loving the sheep, not beating the sheep, and being devoted to that area of service. What are you supposed to do? Point them towards Christ so their eyes can be opened. What else can you do? Help them, free them from their prison of whatever they're in through Jesus' power. And what's the last thing? Let's cement it in with praise. God, thank you for what you've done and thank you for what you're going to do. Jesus set the example of servanthood here and what a great example he set for us. Anybody have any final questions, comments about this before we close up? Okay. Let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll let you go. Lord, as we come to you now, uh, Lord, we want to be servers. Lord, we just don't want to sit on the sidelines. We want to get out there. We want to get our hands dirty. We want to love people. We want to go there. And Lord, as we pray this prayer of take our hearts and use us mightily for you, Lord, we realize that not a single one of us is needed. But Lord, we just want to be used by you. Lord, take away any type of pride and service. Take away any type of I'm better than that. 
And Lord, whatever you've called us to do, whatever feet you've called us to wash, help us to wash them. Lord, help us to be anointed by you, to love you, to show that love. And Lord, I bet you there's some people here tonight that know somebody who's blinded and in prison. Lord, set them free through you. Help us to be a light and a witness for them to point them in the right direction. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for not not condemning us, Lord, but for just loving us through our trials and our errors. And we lift this up in your name. Amen.